Father, we just stand in awe of you. We thank you, Father God, for the testimony that Pat just shared, the testimony of your goodness, the testimony of you taking care of the little things and the big things, the testimony of truth. Pat said that you are good, that you don't do bad things. Pat spoke truth to us, Father God, and I pray that that truth is our truth that we take it in, that we receive it deep into our inner being and allow it to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. And that just as Pat has done in her life, that she looks for good. She looks for you. She looks for the way that you're taking care of her. And then she praises you and acknowledges you in every good thing. Your word says in Proverbs 3, 5, that we are to trust in you with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. And when we acknowledge you in all of our ways that you direct our paths. So, Father, I pray that over every one of us. Grow us in trust. Grow us in discerning what you're doing around us. Uh, Open our ears to hear and our eyes to see and our minds to pay attention and our hearts to receive. And I pray that for this evening, Father God. Have your way here tonight. I know I've already talked to at least one person who said, I'm coming for my miracle. I'm coming to take what you've given me, what you've paid for, Jesus. And just as Pat heard that word from that TV evangelist, we declare it right now. We're here, God, to receive what you have for us and to take it. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've already done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So this message is about compassion. If you don't have a handout, they're on the table back there. Last week I shared about the goodness of God. I also shared about the badness of the devil. And I shared how there's a lot of confusion in the world right now. Not right now, there has been, I'm sure, for a long time. But there's confusion because people look at the truth of the word of God, but then they look at their experiences or the experiences of people they care about. And it doesn't always line up. So they try to fit their experiences into the word. They try to fit the word into the experiences. And the truth becomes um, diluted or, or it becomes completely twisted. And so that's what we talked about last week. And you hit the nail right on the head today. And you weren't even here last week, Pat. You said God is good and he doesn't break legs. He doesn't smash faces. He's a good, good father. It might be our own negligence. It might be our own mistake. It might be the enemy, but it's certainly not God. So today I want to go a little bit deeper, and I want to talk about one component of the goodness of God. And this is something that is, like I said, I am digging deep into the word and learning about, and it's compassion, the compassion of Christ. The compassion of Christ, his compassion was the motivation for his ministry. Think about what Jesus did when he was in his years of ministry. He taught. He reached out to the lost, the poor, the sick, the suffering, the oppressed, those who were being um, um, attacked by the demonic realm. He, at at the ultimate point in his life, he paid the price for the world, for all humanity, for our salvation. And that was all motivated by compassion, So I'm going to define compassion, the biblical definition of compassion. Then we're going to look deep into Jesus 
and how that applies to us. So the, de- the biblical definition, first of all, there's two in the, in the concordance, in Strong's concordance. There's two parts to the definition. The first part literally means the bowels. The word compassion is the same word, the Greek word, for bowels. And the reason is because in the day that the, that, the langu- that the word, that the scripture was written, the bowels were thought to be the place in our body where we had sympathy, where we were moved to, um, with love, with sympathy, with pity. We would call it our innermost being, the very, the very core of who we are. They literally thought that that was our physical bowels. So it literally means bowels. But it also means a very deep inner awareness of the suffering of others, coupled by a desire to do something about it. And there's always an action, or there should be, sometimes when we're afraid. We're going to talk about that a lot next week because we're called to be little Jesuses with the skin on, as my old pastor says. But um, we have that same yearning in us. But when we have that yearning, we need to take a step. And there's power when we do that. That's what compassion is. It's a deep awareness of having a need, but then also a desire to do something about it. Compassion's not an emotion. It's way deeper than that. It's a stimulus for faith. It fans the flame. It fans the fire of faith. So Jesus' ministry, last week we looked at the truth that Jesus pointed to the heart of God. We read a scripture in Hebrews last week that said that he is the visible representation of the invisible. He is the very imprint of the nature of God. And when we look at Jesus, we can literally see the heart of God. But the scriptures I'm going to look at today go even further. And they say that Jesus, when he walked on this earth, manifested, literally manifested the Father. Now, the word manifested means make visible or known what was hidden or unknown by words or actions or in some other way. So the manifestation, when Jesus was ministering, the preaching, the healing, the casting out of demons, the, the, the taking care of the lost, the sick, the lame, that was manifesting, was making God visible through words or actions. Listen to these scriptures. The first scripture I want to read is John chapter 5. So Jesus said, I speak to you timeless truth. I never act independently of the Father or do anything through my own initiative. I only do the works that I see the Father doing. For the Son does the same works as his Father. Because the Father loves the Son so much, he always reveals to me everything that he's about to do. And you will all be amazed when he shows me even greater works than what you've seen so far. So here's Jesus. He says, I only do what I see my Father do. And the love of God was what compelled Jesus to act. The love of God reveals the heart of the Father, and then Jesus did it. So he was literally manifesting the compassion of God. And the next scripture, John 17, this is the chapter of prayer where Jesus is praying. The whole chapter of John is a prayer that Jesus is praying. 
And it takes place right before his passion and his death and his resurrection. John 17 is right before he's taken in the Garden of Gethsemane by the, the high priests and the, and the Roman soldiers. And he's praying and Jesus says, Father, I have manifested who you really are. And I have revealed you to the men and women that, gave, that you gave to me. Jesus has revealed the Father to us. Jesus has manifested God to us. Jesus had a relationship with his Father. He had a deep, deep, intimate relationship with his Father. The next part of this study that I want to share with you that just... I knew it, but I didn't realize the depth of the relationship that Jesus had. Here he is, the Son of God. But he chose to strip himself of all of the, the bonuses of being the Son of God and to come as a human being. Let me read the scripture to you. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. The scripture says, let the same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. Now listen to this. Who, although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained, but, but instead... He stripped himself of all the privileges and the rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a servant, a slave, and that he became like men and was born a human being. And after he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even death on a cross. So I'm going to say something now that may just, maybe you've never heard this before. I just want you to think about it. Jesus was the son of God. But when he was born, he was stripped of all the benefits of being the son of God. He gave up the privileges. He was fully dependent on God. He wasn't independent as God. He was fully dependent on his father, just as we're called to be. There was one big distinction and that was that there was no separation between him and his father because he had no sin or no sin nature. So there was no separation. He could easily and absolutely go face to face with his father. And he did, which is what we're going to look at next. But before I go there, I want to say this. Now, as a newborn again child of God, we no longer have separation with God either. Before Jesus paid the price, mankind had a barrier. There was a very distinct separation between us and God because of sin. But there isn't anymore. So now, as born-again children, we have the same distinctions that Jesus carried when he was on the earth. He was stripped of his privileges, of his rightful dignity as God, and he was fully dependent on his father. He had open access. He could go face-to-face -face with his father, but so can we. 
He was fully dependent on his father, and so can we be. He had the Holy Spirit, and so do we. But what I want to show you next is how Jesus depended on prayer. He depended on relationship. I'm going to show you in the Gospel of Luke something I never knew. I learned this this week. There are eight times in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus prayed. And in each one, it's very different. What it shows me is that Jesus went to his father for everything that he needed. So let's look at a few of these. We're just going to go through them quickly because I want the word to teach you what, I'm, what he showed me. I don't want Cindy to teach. I want the word to teach. So I'm going to list. I'm going to do all eight. Number one, at Jesus' baptism, Jesus prayed. Did you know that he prayed at his baptism? I never knew that. He prayed. And then, after he prayed, the heavens were opened and his sonship was revealed. Listen, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Number two. Jesus prayed in solitude, and miracles broke out in his ministry. Luke 5, verse 15 through 17. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of all their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And then one day, very next verse, one day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. This is the account where the man is brought in and lowered through the roof and laid in front of Jesus and Jesus heals him. So here's Jesus withdrawing to the wilderness for prayer right before right after it talks about the power of healing what do you think we do in ministry we pray we pray before this time of ministry we pray after this time of ministry knowing that it's nothing to do with us it's everything to do with god we it's so critical to be dependent on him not to get popped up on our own ability or in any way thinking, okay, I got this. I know I'm going to do this, 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 and this. No, because without God, we're nothing. Neither was Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. He prayed. Example number three, Jesus prayed all night before he chose his 12 apostles. Luke 6, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night, all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples, and he chose 12 of them to be his apostles. And then it lists their names in the next verse. So Jesus, the man that we know to be our Savior, to be our, our, our Redeemer, he prayed all night before he chose his apostles. He depended on being led by the Holy Spirit. Kent and I have often been awed at how God has revealed to my heart especially who to invite to our ministry team. 
and I'll, we'll, I'll be praying and he'll just, you know, reveal somebody to me. And I often wait for a little bit and ask him for confirmation. The last two people on this team that God literally showed me was Alice and Pat. Do you think that, and John and Jennifer was another one. And I remember calling all of those people and saying, you know, I really feel like God's wanting you to be part of our team. Do you think that God is speaking when we pray? Yes. And our, all of our team is amazing. But those are the most recent ones where God was just putting, kept putting you in front of my face. Alice wasn't even coming to the meetings. But she was a member of the church. And I kept seeing her and talking to her. And I thought, she needs to be in here. That's God. That's being dependent on God. Here's another example. Number four, Jesus prayed and his apostles received the full revelation of who he was. Luke chapter 9. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him and he asked them, Who do the people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah and others say that you're one of the ancient prophets risen from the dead. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. The true revelation. Once again, God's heart is for the revelation to be in you, to be in me. The truth, knowing the truth is what sets us free. And in this class, it's specifically about knowing the truth, about healing and Jesus the healer. Number five, when Jesus was about to be glorified or transfigured in splendor on the mountain, he prayed and his face glowed with that flashing light. Luke chapter nine, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. He took his three, his inner circle up on the mountain with him to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. So here he was with his apostles praying and there was a transfiguration. That word trans, or transformed or transfiguration, depending on the, the, the Bible that you're using, is only used three times in the Bible. One time it's used when Jesus was transformed or transfigured. But the other two times it's talking about us. One of them is Romans 12, 2, where the Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind with the word. Renew your mind. Meditate on the word. Pray over the word and watch your life be transformed. That's what happened to Pat. That's what she's seen happen through her life and she's seen the evidence of the transformation. The other time it's used is in the scripture, and I can't quote it perfectly, but it's a scripture that talks about beholding God in the word like a mirror. And as we behold him in the word, it's like a mirror, and we begin to look more and more like this. And it uses the word transformed or transfigured. We become transfigured more and more clearly into the image of God. Jesus gave us a beautiful example of being dependent, not trying to, you know, there's all these self-help books and, 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 you know, people that are trying to help you to be better, coaches, life coaches, whatever you call them. This God and his word is the best. <laughs>
way to be transformed, transfigured. Here's another example. Um, Number six, Jesus prayed and became an example to every one of his disciples. Luke 11, 1. When Jesus was in a certain place praying, or once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And that's when Jesus modeled prayer for his apostles. But he started out through prayer. Number seven, Jesus prayed for Peter's restoration and future ministry. Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brethren. Jesus was praying specifically for one of his apostles. He, I'm, it, it appears that he had a word of wisdom. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. And he was praying so that he wouldn't fail and he would repent and turn back and then strengthen others. Jesus was in that place of prayer constantly. And the last one, number eight, Jesus prayed in Gethsemane for strength and glory as the terrors of Calvary lay before him. Luke 22, Jesus walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. That was his prayer. He prayed even more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. He prayed for his own strength. He prayed for healing. He prayed for intercession for his apostles. He prayed for for, um, um, the anointing. Jesus went to his father in deep relationship for everything that he needed. And I believe that that was the gateway to the compassion of Christ that moved him to manifest the presence of God. It was relationship. So if the Son of God himself depended on knowing his Father and having relationship with his Father and communion with his Father on such a consistent, intimate basis and extended, it wasn't little short things. He would go and pray all night. He would go and, and um, you know, withdraw himself to a solitary place before dawn. He was m- purposing to have that relationship with his Father. And that love that he came to know was his motivation for ministry. And that's compassion. Compassion. That deep awareness of the needs of others and a desire to do something about it. So Jesus demonstrated compassion. He lived compassion. And it wasn't just him. It was God revealing it to him and then working through him. Compassion. I'm going to, there are, I think, five areas in the Bible where it talks about compassion. There's many more scriptures than this. So I just did a research on that word compassion. And all of these areas, Jesus was moved with compassion for people. The first one was for the lost. Matthew 9. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. 
But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus, Jesus was having multitudes come to him and he was one man. Yeah, he was the son of God, but he was one man and he knew he wasn't going to be on the earth forever. And his heart was moved knowing that there were so many that needed to know truth, so many that needed to know the God, know God. And he was saying, pray for laborers so that they can go out and spread the word. There's another scripture where Jesus says, greater works than these will you do. So here we are, 2018. You guys come, for many of you, come because you need healing. That's when I came to my first healing meeting. I needed healing. Boy, did God trump what I needed. Yes, I needed healing. And thank you, Jesus, that I received complete healing and restoration, and I walk in divine health. Thank you, Jesus. But so much more. So much more. I share good news. I pray for people. And what happens? You go and you tell your husband. You go and you tell your mother. You go to the malls and you pray. You bring people to the meeting. You are doing what Jesus prayed. His prayer is being answered right now. As the word goes out, people are sharing. It's like a ripple effect. It's totally Holy Spirit anointing. It's way bigger than what we could do. Whole, I mean, Bible studies in your home, visiting hospitals. I mean, I have seen you guys grow by leaps and bounds and leaps and bounds. It is awesome. And what is it? It's compassion. You have something that you can't hold on to. You have to give it away. That's what compassion is. Having this deep awareness and having to do something about it compassion for the lost. Jesus also had compassion for the sick. This is a healing class. Boy, are there a lot of scriptures about the sick. I just picked two. Here's one of them. Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14. When Jesus heard this, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. This actually takes place when he heard about his dear friend, John the Baptist, and his cousin being beheaded. That's what, that's what happened right before this. Jesus heard about his cousin. He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. He needed to get away. I've been there when my heart's broken and I just need to be alone with God. But when the multitudes heard that Jesus was someplace, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. Now here he was at a time when he probably just wanted to be by himself. But he was moved with compassion. He didn't say, leave me alone, I need time to myself. He had compassion, he was moved, and he healed their sick. When we lose somebody that we, oh, we get mad. When somebody doesn't receive their healing and they pass away, we get mad. But you know what's the first thing I do? I stand back up, I go to God and I say, send the next one, God. Send the next one with the impossible. 
because I'm going to do what Jesus did. And I know that Jesus heals. And I don't question. I don't, I don't get angry. Yeah, I grieve. Yes, I get sad. But it moves me to go back and preach the word more and pray more and do more. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. He's our example. He's our teacher. Mark 1, verse 40 through 42. Now a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you're willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. And then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. That's a scripture to put in your heart and memorize. There are so many times when you say, God, are you willing? Well, there's the answer. Jesus' mouth said, yes, I am willing. I equate leprosy to cancer. It is, it is, a, a, it is a disease that spreads, that, that destroys the body, that does the same thing that cancer does. And Jesus said, yep, I'm willing. Be cleansed. Now, in that day... It was for, for a, a man uh, of God, an, a Jew, to touch an unclean man or an unclean person made this person unclean. And then they couldn't go into the synagogue. They couldn't celebrate. They couldn't worship. Jesus certainly couldn't have gone into the synagogue and taught. But that's not what happened here. Jesus didn't become unclean. When he touched that unclean man... The man became clean. Jesus was turning everything upside down. He was pointing to the heart of the Father. He was manifesting God. He was manifesting the compassion of God. And that leper was cleansed. He was healed. He was made clean. Jesus also had compassion to forgive and restore. The ultimate compassion because he took all of our sin and he died. He acted in compassion like no one else had ever acted. He became the sacrificial lamb to forgive sin. But before he did that, he taught a parable. He taught two of them actually about forgiveness. The, I'm going to share this, the second one about the prodigal son. And I'm only going to share a portion of it. But listen to this compassion. This is the heart of the father. Luke chapter 15. The prodigal son returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, that father ran to his son, embraced him, and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. The celebration began. The father had compassion. He completely forgave the debt. He, he forgave his son. He restored him to sonship. 
That's a picture of the compassion of our Father. That's the compassion of God. Compassion also teaches. I love this one. Mark chapter 6. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd waiting, and he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, lacking guidance. And he began to teach them many things. His heart of compassion for the, for the those who didn't understand, they were lost. And he taught them. I have such a heart for teaching. I have such a joy in teaching. I, I pray for people a lot. People call me and I pray. I don't know them many times. They tell me their story and I pray for them. But my heart is to give them truth that will help set them free. Yes, prayer is powerful. Yes, there are gifts of healing. Yes, there's a prayer of faith. The Bible talks about it. And it says the prayer of faith will heal the sick. But will that person be able to have the next obstacle healed or the next obstacle taken care of? Where if you give them truth, it's like um, instead of just giving them fish, you teach them how to fish. And that's what I get to do. Even when I talk to people or email people, I give them scriptures. I give them a step to take. I give them a teaching to hear because the truth is what's so, so important. So compassion teaches. When you guys are going out and sharing what you're learning, that's what you're doing. Compassion teaches. Compassion responds to needs. I'm going to share another parable. This is the last um, area of compassion I want to talk about. But I'm going to share a parable that Jesus shared about compassion to meet needs. It's the, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Then a despised Samaritan came along. I'm going to bypass the priest and the Levite who didn't help. But a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw that man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him on to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins and told him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. That's a picture of compassion. He saw a man in need, and he says, I have to do something about it. And he did a whole lot about it. That's a picture of the compassion of Christ, the heart of God to meet us at our needs, whatever that need is. And one, one thing I'm so always, I watch, like Pat said, one thing that I've noticed that I watch is that God always meets us right where we're at and meets our needs right where we're at. And many times we're in different places in our life, different places in our spiritual walk. It doesn't matter. Hi, it's good to see you, Laura. Beautiful to see you. Glad you're here. So he meets us where we're at. He meets our needs. He has compassion to meet our needs. Well, here's some really good news. The compassion of Christ is here now. Jesus walked on this earth for just a few years. He was in ministry for only three years. But his compassion is still very, very active today. 
God's love and compassion. That love and compassion that we just saw in the word, that we saw through Jesus, breathes power into our faith. Grace is God's finished work. It's done. He paid the price in full. Faith is believing. Compassion, this this precious thing in the bowels of our God, in the bowels of Jesus that cares so much, literally fans the flame of our faith to to make it bigger and stronger and more, more powerful. Let me give you scripture evidence of that. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Let me explain. The first part of that scripture, before the comma, I think refers to stuff like religion, like Protestant, um, Pentecostal, Christian, Jew, rules, regulations, um, lists of beliefs, etc., etc. That doesn't avail anything. This is, what, this is what avails a lot. Faith working through love. Faith working. The word working is energeo. The Greek word energeo. It's where our word energy comes from. It means that faith is operative, effective. That faith is powerful. That faith is switched on through love. And that love does not refer to us being perfect in love. That is referring to the love of God. That is referring to what we've been talking about today. Love and compassion. When we know the love and the compassion of God, faith is energized. Faith is, the, the, the example that I was using yesterday is if you have a, a fire, you build a fire, and it's not very big, and it's not growing the way you want it to, there's these things called billows. I don't know if you're old enough, you've seen a billows. But when you use that billow and you fan the flame, all of a sudden the fire shoots up really huge. That's what compassion does. That's what knowing the love of God does to your faith. um, Faith works powerfully and effectually when we understand that we're loved. Now, let me give you an example. You know about my grandbabies. I have these two beautiful grandbabies, Cora and Colton. They're really good kids, and they don't don't ask grandma for a lot of things. They, They just don't. But when they do, if, for example, Cora had one Paw Patrol toy she didn't have yet. I think I told you about this already. And, um... She has, her and Colton share, they play together, and they have every toy but one. And she told me, I would really like Tracker, Grandma. Now, she knows her grandma loves her, and she knows grandma's bought her every other Paw Patrol toy that they have. She knew all she had to do was say, Grandma, I would like Tracker. And Tracker, Grandma would find Tracker. Why does she know that? Because she knows Grandma loves her. She knows Grandma has gotten every other Paw Patrol toy for her. And she doesn't, this is what kids don't do. Cora didn't strive thinking, will Grandma get it or won't she? Can I believe her or not? No. 
My little four-year-old knew that Tracker was hers because she knows I love her. She knows that I've always fulfilled my promises. She knows that I'm good for my word, even though it costs $44 and it was crazy expensive and all the rest only cost 12. <laughs> I, you know, it, it didn't matter. I had to get that for her. So that's how we should be because once we're convinced of God's love, believing should be easy. Once Cora was convinced that grandma knew that that's what she wanted, believing was easy. That's how it should be. When we know God's love, we know his promises, we should believe that those promises are ours. It's just simple. It's childlike believing just because we know our daddy loves us and that's his promise. Saturating our minds, renewing our minds with the truth of God's unconditional love will do more to create a healing environment than anything else we can do. Let me say that again. That's a big, huge, powerful truth. Knowing the love of God, saturating your mind, renewing your mind with the truth that God loves you will do more for creating an environment to receive healing than anything else you can do. Faith works through love. Faith is activated, energized, empowered through knowing the love of God and the compassion of God. Understanding you're loved is a prerequisite to becoming convinced that it's God's will to heal you. Convinced is, being convinced of God's will to heal is faith. It means you believe it. So, we talked about Jesus. We talked about his um, compassion. We looked at this spiritual truth that our faith is activated through knowing the compassion of Christ. So how can that translate into receiving? How can that translate into you getting the Paw Patrol toy? <laughs> In your case, the healing. The reason is because Jesus already did it. The ultimate action of compassion was already done. Remember, the biblical definition of compassion is to have this deep awareness of the needs of others and then doing something about it. And that's what Jesus did. He had a deep awareness of the lost people of the oppression of the enemy on us, of the separation between God and humankind. And he knew that he was the answer. He knew that he needed to offer his life as a sacrifice to take all judgment on himself. He did it. He took that action. We can't even fathom giving up our life, not just dying, but suffering greatly, being rejected, being separated from God. And yet he chose to do that. It was the ultimate act of compassion. And because of what he did, we now have it all. The, the gift has been purchased. 
he paid the $44, way more, we know that. He paid it all, such a huge, huge, huge price so that we could have the gift. In Hebrews 12, 2, this is from the Passion Translation. The word says, we look away from the natural realm. So here you are with a big problem. The, the doctor's report, the symptoms, the pain, whatever it is, the natural realm, it's big in your face. We look away from that, look away from the natural realm, and instead fasten our eyes, our gaze onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. And this is how Jesus did it. This is his example. This is what he did. Because his heart was filled with the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and he conquered its humiliation. And he now sits exalted at the right hand of God. He didn't just go through passion and death. He was resurrected and exalted. He is alive. He is here with us now. He's in us. He is upon us. We're in him. We are one. We are reconciled. The price has been paid in full. The compassionate act has already been done. What I want to do now is I want to share a testimony. I'm going to share it in depth. It's a testimony that I just got last week. But this testimony is a picture of this coming all to in full circle. What Jesus did and, and the gift and receiving the gift, full circle. So the, this woman I'm going to tell you about is a woman named Norma. If you were at the ball game on Sunday, I shared a little, little version of this, but I'm going to share it in depth today. Norma was a woman like me and probably like a lot of you who was very busy with life. She was a Christian. She went to church, but she didn't have the relationship with Jesus that she knew she should have. Jesus is our example. We looked at him. We looked at his relationship with his father, constant in every time of need. But Norma didn't do that because life was busy. She didn't read the Bible. She didn't um, have a prayer time. She just did church, checked it off her list. In 2016, she was diagnosed with cancer. In her case, it was a tumor on top of her skull. Um, it was another, there was another source, but the doctors couldn't find the source. They did tests all over her body. They couldn't find the original source, but she had this big tumor on her head. Needless to say, she was um, devastated. She was filled with fear. Somebody brought her to one of our healing meetings. That's you guys being the laborers in the harvest. Somebody brought her, and for the first time, she heard that Jesus is the healer. The first meeting that she came to, she said she was so overwhelmed she could hardly breathe. And it was a good overwhelmed. She was crying the whole meeting because she was hearing something she'd never heard before. The compassion of Christ was moving through the Holy Spirit realm into her heart. And after that meeting, she came up and talked to me and I prayed for her. I laid hands on her head. It was right on top of her head. I could feel it under her hair. And I prayed for her. And within the next week or two, she never came back at that time because she had surgery. When she went for the surgery, it was miraculous. It was absolutely miraculous. When the doctor did the surgery, um, he's done them before, many, many of them, and it was like nothing he'd ever done before. He said the tumor literally peeled off her skull like a sticker. 
and there was no residue, no, no anything. It just came right off. And they didn't have to do any further treatment. Just peeled this tumor off and threw it away. Probably sent it to the pathology. So that was awesome, right? She continued to come to our healing meetings. She's wowed. She has seen the compassion of Christ manifest. She's just wowed. So she continues to come, and I got to witness the transformation of Norma. Oh, my gosh, was she, not was, is, present tense, is she ever in love with God? Her relationship has just crazy multiplied. I mean, it's so big. And I just look at her and I say, I want to grow up to be like you. She's just so in love with the Lord. And so I've watched her all year. One year later, last fall, so the first tumor was diagnosed in fall of 2016. In fall of 2017, it recurred. When she went in for one of her scans, she now had numerous tumors on her skull. She also had tumors on her bones. And when they, they finally were able to um, get a source of the cancer, and it was breast cancer, but she didn't have any tumors in her breast. Somehow it had metastasized. Anyway, it was a bad report. But now Norma knows a whole lot about truth. She's been feeding on the word, developing a relationship with God for a whole year. And she just poured herself into good news and said, I know that I know that I know that the will of God is for me to be well. And it, this tumor thing has to go. It has to bow to, its, its, to Jesus. But one of the things that Norma did in the natural, she chose not to do treatment. She, remember how I said God always meets you at that place where you're, where you're at? Well, she said, I'm not doing treatment. I don't want poison in my body. That was her decision. What she did do was she altered her diet to the extreme. I don't know what her diet was, but I know it was extreme. And it kind of took over her diet, kind of took over her life. And unknowingly, in hindsight, she realizes that she was trying to do it all on her own. And she even said that. She said, I use these words, I can do this. That's danger. Because it's not about I, it's about what Jesus already did. Well, in a very short time, she started having some really serious um, things happening because of the tumors on her brain. One of them was on her brain stem area, and she lost consciousness. This was just shortly after the, the second diagnosis. And she ended up in intensive care in a coma and was, was um, according to the doctors, they didn't know if she would ever wake up. I mean, it went like from this woman of super uncommon faith to coma. Now, she had already joined Pastor T Tom and Fran's church. You guys, Fran was here a few weeks ago teaching. And they are, oh, Tom and Fran are amazing. It's a good church. If you need a good church, Rochester Christian is a good church. But Living Grace is another really good church. And Norma had been going to Living Grace so Fran, as her pastor, went to the hospital morning, noon, and night and prayed the prayer of faith over that girl and said, you will not die. You will live. You will wake up. I don't care what the doctors say. And she stood in powerhouse faith. I was as well, but Fran was the primary person that was just standing in faith for this woman. And Norma did wake up. 
She did wake up. I want to back up. I want to tell you one more detail. It was so grave that they called all of her family from all over the country, sisters, relatives, best friends from her high school, called them all to come to Michigan to say their goodbyes. That's how serious it was. But she did wake up. When she woke up, the doctor said that they recommended that she begin hospice care. Um, she went home. She did have a very strong walk with God. She was laying in, in bed. That's where she would commune with God. That was her place to talk to God. It was about two days after she got home from the hospital. God spoke to her so clearly, so clearly. And he said to her, Norma, go to the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Now, Norma had said, I can do this. It is God's will to heal. I don't need treatment. She had said all that. She had done all the diet things. But God spoke to her and said, go to the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. It was so real to her that she immediately got up and called and made an appointment for a consultation. She didn't even think to ask her husband or talk to her husband. And she's got a really good marriage. But it was so strong, that was the first thing she did. And then she talked to her husband, and he agreed. So she made the appointment. About two, she hadn't gone yet. About two days later, she was in the same place meeting with God, and he spoke to her a second time. The second time, he said to her, you are starving yourself almost to death. This is God speaking to her. When she heard that, she got up, went to the refrigerator, opened it up, and started eating what looked good to her. God told her, eat. She had lost a lot of weight. She was very weak. She was very weak physically. God told her to eat. So at that point, she let go. She trusted God. Instead of saying, I can do this, she put it in God's hand. And she made the decision that no matter what the doctors recommended at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America, she was going to do it because God told her to go there. And he was certainly going to direct the doctors. So that's what she did. That was eight months ago. She called me last week. She is 100% healed. 100%. Let me give you the statistics. The cancer markers went from 382 eight months ago to 40. Normal is 25. Not quite normal yet, but let me tell you the rest. There's no more tumors on her head. She hasn't had surgery. The tumors are gone. There are no more tumors on her bones. The tumors are gone. The damage that those tumors did to her bones are being restored. Her bones are filling in. Her bones are re being restored. Bones do that. Bones heal. Her bones are being restored. Her blood work is perfect. Those of you who are fighting cancer know they watch your blood carefully. Every part of her blood is completely perfect. And the doctor's report says no cancer activity. Praise God. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Listen to the compassion of God. The, the definition of compassion is a deep awareness of the needs of the people and, and, and a desire to do something about it. God met her at her need. And her need was to go to the cancer center. Instead of trying to do it all on her own and trying to be a superstar, 
There are people who absolutely are there. But not all of us are. And that's okay. Pastor Tim is such a good mentor, and he has always said, do everything you can do in the natural, do everything you can do in the medical, do everything in the spiritual, and put Jesus in lordship over all of it. And that's what Norma did. And she lives. She lives. She will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Isn't that a good testimony? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here we are, right here, right now, and compassion is moving. Compassion is here because Jesus is here. Ministry, serving others is just like it was with Jesus. It's a fruit of relationship. So Barb and Dale and Alice and John and, and Pat and who else did I miss? Everybody, all you guys too. We have a relationship with God and because of that, he can move. He can move. He can move through us. One thing that Pastor Tim has taught me, this is just one more little nugget, and then we're going to pray. We're going to sing a beautiful song, and then we're going to pray. Um, Pastor Tim has taught me this. He said, Cindy, when you sense that in your, I'm going to use the word bowels. He didn't use that word, but that's the Bible word. When you sense that in here, when you sense that deep awareness of the needs of others, move, move, do something about it. You go lay hands on them and you pray because there is that, that, that fanning of flames that God is doing. There is a power in that compassion. Last week, I, I've talked to Suzette about this already, but last week I connected with Suzette in that way. Pastor Tim told me, and I listened to my mentor. He says, when you feel that, you do something. So I talked to her. I said, okay, we're going we're gonna, to, because I had this thing in me for, for Suzette. I was even, and when I was praying for her at home, I was feeling in my body what I believe that she's experiencing in her body. I could feel it in my body. And I came to her and I said, okay, girl, let's go. Let's pray. And she's the one that walked in here today saying, I'm here for my miracle today. Amen. Amen. I'm not, not going to do anything. I'm just going to pray with you. <laughs> Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you for your heart, God. We thank you for your love, God. We thank you, God, that you paid the ultimate compassion, the gift of compassion. You did it all, Jesus, when you took the stripes on your back. You did it all. Father, I agree with you. I believe. Father, fan the flame of faith. Fan the flame, God. Just make it a raging fire in me, in Suzette, to connect with the finished work of the Lord. I thank you, Father, that your work is done. And I stand believing Suzette, believing you with Suzette, that that is finished. It is finished. And that the miracle that she came to get, she walks away with. I speak healing in your body, Suzette. I speak healing in every cell, every tissue, every organ of your body. I speak to the, the source of the cancer. I say, be dried up, be withered at the roots in the mighty name of Jesus. Be dried up and be withered up and be completely destroyed in the mighty name of Jesus. And I speak to your flesh, your tissue, your organs, and I say, be restored. Be restored, be made new, be restored and be made new. And just as when Jesus laid hands on the sick and they were healed, Jesus, we know that you're here today. And I declare healing 
and restoration in your body, Suzette. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, let's worship. Let's stand up and worship.